0: Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. So last week we began reading the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in the city of Colossae. And the main purpose or the main thesis of this letter comes in Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7. We read there, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. But as we started chapter one, we mainly focused on one question. How do we become healthy, mature and fruitful trees in terms of our faith? Well, first, we must be deeply rooted in the knowledge of who Jesus is. And second, we must be deeply rooted in the knowledge of who we are. Jesus is the object of our faith, the source of our hope, and the agent of our redemption. And as for us, we were once sinners, but now we're saints. And one day we will live in glory. But even with all the positivity of Colossians 1, we also mentioned last week that the Christians in this church were facing significant challenges. What kind of challenges were they? Well, our first hint comes in Colossians 2 verse 4, which we'll read in just a moment. There, Paul warns the believers not to be deluded by plausible arguments. Plausible arguments. Now, hold on. Wait a minute. That's it? That's what Paul is so concerned about for this church? Plausible arguments? That doesn't sound all that threatening. But remember, even the healthiest tree can fall. And it doesn't require lightning to strike wind to blow, or chainsaws to cut. All it takes to kill a mighty tree can be a tiny bug. Sometimes the biggest danger can come in the smallest package. So today we'll move ahead into Colossians 2, getting more details about the particular challenges that this church was facing. We'll learn more about those plausible arguments of verse 4 and what makes Paul so worried about them. We'll also consider what believers must do to remain deeply rooted in Christ in the midst of them. And finally, I hope we'll recognize that we too, living on the other side of the world some 2,000 years after the Christians in Colossae, We, too, must also be on guard against similar threats to our spiritual well-being. So, open up to Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take one home if you don't have one. But, let's pray before we read. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. I ask that you watch over us in this time of worship. Thank you that we have the ability and the means and the freedom to gather here in this place and worship you. And thank you that you are gracious and kind and patient with us. I pray that you would accept the words that we say and the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray as the worship that we mean for them to be, as imperfect as they might be. Thank you that your spirit intercedes for us. Thank you that your son intercedes for us, that you are with us, that you care for us, that you are a father. As we look outside and we see the rain, we also see a lot of stressed out trees, trees that are dry, trees that are losing leaves prematurely. And I pray that like the rain that is falling outside, I pray that your word would be nourishing and life-giving for us. I pray that we would be healthy, fruitful, mature trees and that you would give us good fruit. Again, help us be attentive to your word. Help us be submissive to your word, not just to know your word, but to be shaped by your word, to obey your word as we read it this morning. And be with us. Help us be faithful in this world that you've put us in. Help us be rooted in Christ. We love you. We worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well let's start in Colossians chapter 2, verse one. Paul writes, "For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul made some pretty mind-blowing claims about Jesus last week. Back in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, he said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The one who created all things was before all things And holds everything together. He called Jesus the head of the church. The firstborn of the dead. The one who reconciles all things by the blood of his cross. It's pretty audacious stuff, isn't it? Well here, Paul says something just as amazing. Look again at verse 3. Paul says that... All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Think about that. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Like we said last week, everything revolves around Jesus. And in the eternal scheme of things, everything you will ever need and everything worth having Is found in Christ. That's a bold statement. Isn't it? Now Paul reiterates. The greatness of Jesus. Because apparently. Some Christians in Colossae. Were tempted to look elsewhere. For wisdom and knowledge. Where were they looking? That's where those plausible arguments. From verse 4. Come into play. One commentator translates that phrase. As fine-sounding words. Another says, fancy talk. I might go with something like, catchy slogans. But the main point is this. There are some believers in this church who are tempted to look to someone or something other than Christ for the things that only Christ can provide. And that's a major problem. Because, as we'll see in a moment, while those supposedly plausible arguments may seem impressive at first, they ring hollow in the end. So that's why Paul brings the Colossians' attention and our attention back to Jesus as we read. If everything revolves around him, if all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ, Why go anywhere else? Instead, walk in Him. Be rooted, built up, and established in Him. Remember what you've already been taught and be thankful for it rather than falling for the latest and greatest rhetoric. Don't tear up the roots that you've put down in Christ. Plant them even deeper. If you want to be a healthy, mature, and fruitful tree, because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. A couple of Sundays ago, we did a brief overview of Proverbs, that book of the Bible filled with short, memorable, but profound statements of wisdom. And here are a few proverbs that aren't found in scripture, but may still have some truth to them. In fact, I kind of like to live by them a lot of the time. Number one, don't fix what's not broken. Number two, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And then number three, don't mess with a good thing. Now, how might those proverbs apply to Colossians 2? Well, Jesus isn't just not broken. He's the only thing that works in eternity. Jesus isn't just green grass that's better than some other patch. He's the ultimate place of life and rest. And Jesus isn't just one good thing you shouldn't mess with. He's the best thing. So, why would the Christians in Colossae, and why would Christians like us ever be tempted to plant our roots somewhere else? Is it because we get restless? Is it because we get discouraged? Is it because we feel pressure from the world, the flesh, and the devil? Now, those all may be true, but I suspect that more than anything else, we may be tempted to uproot ourselves from Christ and put down roots somewhere else because we simply forget how good Jesus is. We become ungrateful for who he is and what he has done on our behalf. So may Paul's words about Jesus both back in chapter 1 and here in chapter 2, remind us of his greatness so that we abound in thanksgiving for him rather than playing the field and looking for something else entirely or attempting to supplement him. Don't try to find another path. Keep walking in Christ Jesus, the Lord. Let's pick up in verse 8. Paul continues. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now jump down to verse 16. Paul says there, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, grows with a growth that is from God. These verses help us get a better handle on what makes up the plausible arguments Paul warns about in verse 4. In verse 8, we see the word philosophy, which literally means love of wisdom. Now, isn't wisdom a good thing? That's what we said in our sermon on the book of Proverbs. Well, it depends. As we mentioned in that sermon, the Bible teaches us about true wisdom that comes from God and faulty wisdom that comes from somewhere else. One kind of wisdom is in accord with the good, holy, all-powerful God. But the other is in accord with human tradition and the fallen world. It's that second kind of wisdom. ...that the Colossians are flirting with. And that wisdom proves to be empty. Then in verses 16 and 17, we learn more about what these plausible arguments actually consist of. Whoever these people are, they're promoting practices that are unnecessary for the spiritual well-being of believers in Jesus. And could even prove to be harmful... They're insisting that the Christians follow overly rigid rules about food and drink or celebrating certain holidays. And to some degree, the Colossians are going along with it. They are allowing these people to judge them, to condemn them even, based on their willingness to follow these silly rules and participate in these strange practices. People deeply rooted in Christ should know better. And verses 18 and 19 tell us more about the teachers themselves. The proponents of these plausible arguments. Ironically, they are incredibly strict in some areas. That's what asceticism is all about. And incredibly loose in others. They expect the believers to harshly discipline their physical bodies, but also have no problem with bizarre visions and speculations. These teachers may have had some ties to Judaism and some ties to paganism. They were simply all over the place. Their teaching was a kind of hybrid heresy. It's just hard to put a finger on these people. But in the end, what matters most is verse 19. Whatever it is that these teachers are holding to, they aren't holding fast to Christ. They're promoting all kinds of things other than Christ. And if the Colossians plant their roots in that kind of soil, they will wither and they will die. Now, this threat, these false teachers with their plausible arguments and bizarre practices, may not have looked all that serious to some. I mean, they may not have outright rejected Christ. They were just adding a few things on. They may not have verbally denied Christ. In fact, they could have developed a great sales pitch. And there's no evidence that they were persecuting anyone in the most violent or bloody sense of the term. They were just using a little bit of social pressure and rhetorical pressure to gently push the Christians to conform. No harm there, right? Well, you can't be deeply rooted in both Christ and the world. You can't have one foot in the door and one foot out. If you try to reconcile the two, the wisdom and the knowledge that is only found in Christ and the plausible arguments of the world, you will inevitably end up compromising the first. You can lay down roots in Christ or you can lay down roots somewhere else. But you can't do both. Continuing in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do you not handle, do you not taste, do you not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used? according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In the end, these plausible arguments and bizarre practices prove to be impotent. They're worthless in eternity. They're short-sighted pertaining to things that won't last. They don't come from the one true God. They come from fallen people. And they may make you look good on the outside for a while. But they can't fix the problem of sin that lives in every human heart. But you know what doesn't perish? The things of Christ. You know who did come from God? Jesus Christ. And you know who has, who can, and who will fix the problem of humanity's sin once and for all? You guessed it. Christ. Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 9. For in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority in him. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When Paul talks about our circumcision made without hands, he's referring to new life by the power of the spirit at conversion. When he talks about the circumcision of Christ, he's likely referring to Jesus's body and blood on the cross. Paul continues that we've been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Repugnant even, some might say. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Everything revolves around Christ. And if all that stuff in verses 9 through 15 is true, if we've been given new life, if we've been forgiven, if our debt has been paid, why would we let ourselves get sucked in to plausible arguments, bizarre practices, and impressive rhetoric that will ultimately prove to be deluded, empty, and deceitful? Instead, let's continue planting our roots in Christ, because he is everything we will ever need and everything worth having in eternity. Of course, in our day and age, the world has its own arguments, philosophies, and theories that Christians are pressured to conform to in order to stay in the world's good graces. There are new gurus, worldviews, and assumptions that believers are, shall we say, encouraged to follow, adopt, and adhere to if we want to be well adjusted, good people who remain in right standing with our society. It may have to do with our views of economics, anthropology, politics, sex, Marriage, family, technology, matters of life, or matters of death. And proponents of these plausible arguments often have clever marketing, cultural leverage, and catchy slogans that may sound nice, seem to make some sense, and tug at our heartstrings. They're so effective that many Christians believe we can reconcile them to the things of Christ. We can just tack them on to the truths of God's word. And we may have to get a little creative in our interpretation or our application or our strategy, but we can somehow reconcile these things, can't we? Well, remember, like the Colossians, we too can be susceptible to ideas and practices that sound good, look good and feel good, but can't be reconciled to Christ. Strong trees can get knocked down by the smallest threat. So when we're forced to choose between Jesus and any other alternative, which may already happen more than we think it does, walk in him. Don't be taken captive, or worse, surrender. Don't let others condemn you for not playing their game or jumping through their hoops. And let no one disqualify you from what is yours in Christ. Nature abhors a vacuum. If we are not deeply rooted in Christ, we will be deeply rooted in something else. And if we try to be rooted in two things at once, if we try to have our cake and eat it too, we will inevitably choose one over the other. We may think that our little compromises, a small sacrifice here or a tiny cave there don't actually cause any damage. But with enough time, they can bring down a whole tree. So remember how great Jesus really is. He's the source of everything you'll ever need and everything worth having in this life and the next. Walk in him. Be rooted, built up and established in him as you were taught with thanksgiving for what you already have rather than getting sucked into something that you don't need. By the spirit's power, practice sanctified stubbornness in your faithfulness to Christ over anything else that might rob him of his central place in your heart, mind and life. Look to him for wisdom and knowledge rather than being deluded by the world's most plausible arguments. As we close, look at Matthew seven, twenty-four through 27. Jesus says there, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. May we be rooted, built up, and established in Christ. The rock, rather than the shifting sands of anything else. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us be rooted in you. Help us remember who we are, remember where we came from, remember that everything we need, everything we want, everything worth having is ultimately found in Christ. We hear all kinds of mixed messages, all kinds of competing priorities about where identity lies and where purpose lies and where joy can be found. Where wisdom and knowledge exist. But Lord, help us come back over and over and over to Christ as the well of wisdom and knowledge that never runs dry, that never leaves us thirsty. Help us be rooted, built up, established in your Son Jesus so that we can weather the storms of life in a fallen world, so that we can withstand the big, open, intimidating threats. And so that we can withstand the smaller threats. The ones that appear to be less dangerous. The ones that may even come from within. Lord, help us be faithful. Help us be fruitful. Help us be thankful that you've already given us everything we need. And help us come back to you again and again and again. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.